Good morning. I will be reading from Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Allison. Before we, uh, thank you, Allison. Before we jump into the word of the Lord and the sermon this morning, I do want to make mention that um, we will be showing a video statement from Steve and Pastor Phil at the end of the service in relation to what I'm sure many of you have seen, the, uh, the media release that happened yesterday regarding a former employee and uh, will a part be mentioned, and so we want to make sure that we address that well. Uh, but at the same time, we also don't want to make that the object of our focus when we gather together as a church family to worship and hear the Word of God. And, uh, and so, but if we'd, at the end, I will invite you to stay if you would like, and, uh, and then I will we'll show the video. It's only a couple of minutes long, and then I will answer any questions, or I will try to answer some of the questions that you might have. Um, the Greek word for worry is really interesting in the New Testament, and one that when I was studying it this week uh, was very, very timely. Um, I find that even though we plan ahead uh, a long way sometimes when it comes to our sermon series, it's amazing how pertinent the messages become when I come to actually start uh, to plan and prepare and pray through. I would say that this, uh, some of the scriptures I'm going to share with you this morning have become uh, just a, a refreshing and constant, um, a, a constant, that will that'll work, just a constant for me to run to um, over the last few months and certainly over the last few days. And we are going to be looking at this scripture in just a second, and we're going to get there in just a minute. But the Greek word for worry in the Bible is merimnau. And it's actually made up of two words. And the two words are just such great descriptors. It's a very difficult word to fully translate into English. And so these two descriptions really uh, give a great picture of what anxiety and worry or lack of peace feels like and looks like in life. The first word means to tear or separate. To tear or separate. And the second word means mind. And so literally, it means there's a dividing of mind between legitimate concerns and destructive thoughts. And it can feel like the mind is being torn away. Some of you this morning may be feeling that kind of anxiety, that kind of worry, that kind of situation in your life that something or someone has happened. Anxiety has risen inside of you, and it's, 
It's fascinating where you feel anxiety. You feel anxiety not just in the mind, especially if you look at the translation of what anxiety and worry uh, in, in the New Testament. 19 times in the New Testament it's used. This tearing apart. It feels like life is being torn apart. It feels like you are mentally being torn apart. But you also feel it in your gut. You feel it in your body. You feel it in every essence of who you are. And the Bible has a word for that as well, and that is heart. You feel it in your heart. Heart in the scriptures is more than just this beating muscle that we have and we're very grateful for. It's actually the essence of who you are. It's, who you, uh, it's what makes you you. It's the heart of you. And so when something or someone happens in your life, and this anxiety, this tearing apart starts to rise, you feel it in the essence of who you are. It's not just a thought uh, paradigm that you need to change, although that is important, and we're going to be looking at that this morning. It's really an orientation of the heart, this destructive thought, and it can feel like we're being ripped into two different directions. We feel unsettled. We feel sick. We feel anxious. We feel not just ill-equipped, but desperate. We feel like, and I, couldn't, I can't think of enough words to describe negatively how anxiety can feel. Anxiety certainly can be something that you experience for medical reasons, for chemical reasons, if you like. That was something that I certainly experienced almost seven years ago in my adrenal gland fatigued. My chemicals and all the hormones just gets messed up. And one of the, one of the upshots of that is extreme anxiety, and I've shared that before. But also there's this day-to-day -day anxiety that, that our world is coming to grips with. And the answer that our world has is fascinating. And I'm going to sum it all up in, in very, very quickly. And you can do a great deal of research because anxiety is certainly a very pertinent and well-documented um, experience from the very young to the old. But really, culture tells us that all we can really do is manage it. That's the best our culture's got. You just need to accept that you have anxious thoughts. You need to receive them. You need to be gentle with yourself. And then you need to put structures or habits into your life that will, uh, that will actually help you manage it. Manage it. And so we get into this kind of roller coaster of anxiety that can actually be really, really destructive. I was doing some reading recently about something called hypothetical worry. Hypothetical worry is something experienced very acutely by some, that it's, also, it's, it's almost debilitating for some, that you project forward something that might happen in the future. So worry, like this isn't hypothetical worry, this is non-hypothetical worry, I don't know if that's a medical term or not, is when you know you've got to go for a root canal tomorrow and you're worried about it. That's not hypothetical, you know it's going to happen. And even though I'm old dentists assure you it's going to be completely pain-free, you might feel slight pressure, um, that uh, you, know, you, you feel anxious, you feel worried about it. That's not hypothetical. Hypothetical worry is when you project something into the future, your mind goes through all the different trials as to where this situation might lead, and you start getting anxious and worried about something that may not happen, but it can be crippling today thinking about what's happening in the future. 
It's more than just feeling unsettled. It can be destructive. And the culture says, well, you can do these different structures, different practices, different habits, different things like that. And even though those are very important, the Bible has a completely different take when it comes to anxiety and worry. See, what the Bible says, if we turn to some classic scriptures in this verse... It's actually found at the end of the passage that Allison just started to read to us today. In verse 15, it says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. I want you to remember that word rule. Because this isn't manage your heart. It says rule your heart. And then Philippians 4, a beautiful passage that we're going to come back to in a few minutes. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, or some translations say, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Not manage your hearts and minds, guard it. This word guard comes from this picture of a marching around the walls of your heart like a guard, warding off any attacks. I like that. Because I immediately start getting very, very English and start thinking about the castles and the high walls and the guards whose sole duty was to stand there day and night and ward off any attacks that might come. And people could sleep soundly in the castle knowing that they were doing their job. That is the picture of what peace can come from God that transcends all understanding, not just any old peace, but the peace of God. How peaceful is God. Do you think that God is sat on his throne wringing his hands in worry and anxiety and concern about what is happening in this world? Not at all, friend. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He knows the beginning to the end. He is on his throne and he is happy. He is content and he is joyful and yet at the same time feels deep sorrow for what is going on but is content that he knows the end of the story. So that peace, Christian friend, is the peace that can guard the walls of our heart. Not just manage it, guard it. Guard the walls of our heart in a way that we can live life, we are told, anxiety-free. Not just managing it, but anxious-free. That our hearts are contained and guarded and ruled by peace in such a way that our peace should not be ruled by our circumstances, but our circumstances. It should rule despite our circumstances. So regardless of what's going on around me or to me or, or things of the past or things of the future that I can have as a Christian, the promise is the peace of God ruling my mind, ruling my heart in such a way where regardless of the circumstances, that rule can be sure. That's a beautiful promise. A life where peace is not ruled by circumstances. So the big question then has to be, that sounds great, Glenn. I want some of that. How does that come into my life? How does that actually work? I don't want to just manage my anxiety, as helpful as some of those things are. I'm not discrediting, discrediting that. I, I completely agree people should go and see counselors and, and any, any help at all in order to help with anxiety or worry, concern. Absolutely, I endorse that. Do that. That's great. 
And I'm not saying that their, their structures and the different things that they suggest for you are to no end. They absolutely are. But imagine if you could add all the good advice, and it is good advice from our culture, to a supernatural peace that is beyond understanding. That is a potent force. That is far more than some weak-willed archer kind of walking around the walls of my heart, just feeling under pressure, that actually that's a solid force to be reckoned with. So how does this happen? Well, then we go back to our first scripture that Allison read for us this morning. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, sit, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Notice that Paul is causing us, calling us to action here. He's saying, seek the things that are above. Then he says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, Christian friend. This isn't a promise for all. This is for those, as we read in the very first few words, if then. Some translation says, since you have. It's not an assumption This isn't open to everybody. This is exclusive. (gasps) Are we allowed to say that word in our culture? Absolutely, because our culture is filled with exclusivity. This is an exclusive club that all are welcome to. That's basically what the scripture says. But this is a this is a grouping. This is a this is a uh, this is a group of people who are Jesus followers who have uh, who recognize Jesus as Lord, and they are not who recognize that there's sin and shame in their life and have no way of dealing with it, that have tried the things of the world and found them wanting, that have recognized that they've been created in the image of God and are worthy of far more than anything the world can offer, and yet have been broken by the world. It's a group of people that have come to the cross of Jesus, recognizing that he is Lord, recognizing that when he died on the cross, their sin, their shame, the punishment that they truly deserve died with him, And then in newness of life, when he rose again, he is now sat on his father's throne, which is why it says, seated at the right hand of God. So if that is you, and for many of you that is the case, set your mind on things that are above, not on things on earth. If you've died, your old self is gone. Your new self has risen with Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Back to this verse. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The hope drips out of this verse for those who call on the name of Jesus. To set our minds. This is where this beautiful moment is happening in science. I do a lot of reading, and I do a lot of reading around what would be cultural angst between Christianity and culture. I'm not as daft as I look. I know that might surprise some of you. I, I actually do think through how does the culture think and how, what does our culture see. And I think the Lord has enabled me to be able to look at life through a lens of a hyper-skeptical, like just dubious millennial. I wish I was a millennial in age. I'm not. I'm, I'm about nine years out. But. And I can also then look at Christianity through the lens of, well, let's not drink our own Kool-Aid. What does actually Christianity look like to that culture? And one of the bastion calls of our culture has been that science 
And biblical Christianity cannot mesh. I'm just starting to read the book that I'm, I'm very, very excited about uh, called, uh, I think it's just called Atheism is Dead. Is that the one, love? The one that I recommended to you? Now, I want to be careful because I know I'm going to be quoting from this book in the next few weeks. But it's called Atheism is Dead, that no actually educated person now can say there is no God. Read the book. If you kind of go, what? Agnostic, that's, that's okay. But to just completely say there is no God is such a step of faith that of which there is no evidence. And so agnostic, well, I think there might be a God or there is a God, but I'm not sure. That, that's okay scientifically. But to say there is no God, that science and biblical Christianity are at odds, that is not true. In one particular area of science, neuroscience, they're actually now finding that the things that the Bible talked about centuries ago are actually being found to be true scientifically now. There's a brilliant book, I've recommended it to you before, called Switch On Your Brain by Dr. Caroline Leaf. Um, I've read it a couple of times now, and I quote, I think, later on from, from that book as well. And she's a, a, a very acclaimed neuroscience scientist, I should say. And what she says is that scriptures now are aligning with what neuroscience is just finding out about how our brain works. It's, fancy, it's a brilliant read if you like that sort of stuff. And so when Paul is saying, set your minds, he's actually talking, unbeknownst to him, maybe. Maybe he had a revelation about neuroscience then about something that science is telling us now, that the way we think can shape who we become, that we can actually shape and change the, the, the fabric of our biology by the way that we think. So when Paul says, set your mind on things that are above, and remember the ultimate verse here is verse 15, and the peace of Christ. So in order to find that peace, we need to set our minds recognizing that we're at constant war, that our mind, as I said last week, is this, uh, and this isn't my phrase, but like a, co a cocktail party. It's just firing in all sorts of different places and different ways. And Paul says, set your mind on things above. Set it. Consider it. Make it your sole ambition to only think about things that are above, not on things on earth. See, the, Paul also says in Romans 8, he says, to set the mind on the flesh, and you could say the same phraseology, things on earth, is death. And you go, whoa! Does that mean that I physically would die? Neuroscience would say, yes, there is more and more evidence that the way that we think can ultimately change the way that we physically live. And those of you who are far more intelligent than me in the room who are involved in medicine, I know that you would align with that. You will see that in your everyday lives. The positivity, the way people think can certainly have an impact in the way that they live their lives. But I think what Paul is talking about here is far more serious than physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. He's talking about that light switching off where the hope has gone. The energy is gone. But to set the mind on the spirit is life, and there's that word again, peace. So we need to be careful what we bring into our minds. We need to be careful of what we look at. We need to be careful what we set our mind on. I don't know if my mom and dad are here this morning. My mom's not been too well the last couple of weeks. Is mom here? No? Okay, so I'm safe. Because she might be watching online. 
one of my earliest memories <laughs> is uh, my mum might be s small, but she can, she can pack a punch in a figurative way. Although in the, in the early 70s, not so much figurative, perhaps. Um, but I remember, I remember very distinctly being in a lot of trouble in the days when you didn't just sit on the bottom step and think about what you did. Often you were unconscious on the bottom step or you wake up in hospital later on knowing what you did with a bar of soap sticking in your mouth or something like that. But I, I remember finding these fresh morsels of gum stuck on the floor outside my house. I was about three or four. And I remember doing what Elf did. Every time I watch that scene, I go, done that. You know when he picks the gum from underneath in New York and goes... And starts eating, he's like, ooh, and then just keeps on eating it. You know what I'm talking about. Everyone's seen Elf. I've done that, but probably worse, because you know when gum in Britain, you can, gum's just thrown on the floor, and over years, it just comes compacted. And I remember picking this out and popping it in my mouth and going, wow, this is great. What a harvest. What a harvest. Don't judge me. You've done worse. And, uh, and maybe we should be letting our kids do more of that. Amen. Oh, there you go. That's Brad. Thank you. Build up that resistance in the 1970s English way. Um, and my mum, understandably, when I, I guess she caught me, because I wasn't very smart in my crime or in my hygiene, um, I remember getting punished. I do remember getting told off. I remember that very, very, very vividly. Thank you, mum. And she's quite right, too. She's amazing. But we need to be careful that we don't go through life just picking the gum off our culture and throwing it in our mouths thinking it's good for us. We need to be really careful what we absorb. We need to be really careful what we watch, what we read, what we listen to. We need to be careful what we dwell on. We need to be careful what we set our minds on because Paul said, and I think even experientially we know that as we set our minds on things, that has a habit of us ingesting it and it coming out of our lives, but also festering in our minds, causing anxiety and worry and concern. So this cocktail party playlist that goes on in our lives is often as a result of us allowing, digesting, considering, setting our minds on things that ultimately are of earth and that ultimately result in feeling like death. And it's war. Now, I grew up partly in, uh, in a very good old-fashioned Pentecostal church. And I'm, when I say Pentecostal, I mean kind of British Pentecostal, uh, more of a kind of a subdued uh, Pentecostal church. And if you'd said spiritual warfare to a Pentecostal believing Christian, then they have images of, of like angels and demons flying over cities at big, you know, and calling down the powers to be. And uh, so that's the kind of image I grew up with when it comes to spiritual warfare. Freak me out. I'm not even saying that's wrong, but actually, if you read the scripture, and any mention of warfare is not so much out there, it's in here. Look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take, every, uh, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul, contextually, is talking about strongholds and war and captives and this whole military language. His, the context is in our thoughts. Strongholds, lies, things that are built up over time that you believe are true, but ultimately are lies. 
And our culture and our world is okay with this kind of idea that we believe lies that are said of us. And, and, that, and that is good. That's culture catching up with what we already know to be true from 2 Corinthians. But we need to take captive. This is spiritual warfare. We need to set our minds on the things that are above if we, be, if we are seeking that peace that is actually going to rule and guard our hearts. Not just manage, but to guard and rule. To see victory. And we fight not with the weapons of the world, but with supernatural weapons, divine power, Paul says. So how do we set our minds? If we need to set our minds, and setting our minds is key to feeling peace, how do we actually do that? How does Jesus do it in the New Testament? I'm going to show you two ways, and then that's it. I'm going to finish. Number one, you look at the way Jesus went about fighting, and you'll see it really clearly in the, in the passage where he is in the wilderness uh, for 40 days. The, the Satan comes against him, and he tells him all sorts of lies, and the result of those lies is that Jesus throws back scripture. His immediate response is this quiet confidence in scripture. He turns to scripture three times. Why does he do that? In Proverbs 4 and all through the scripture, we read things like this. Give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Can you see the set your mind is right there? Set your mind. Why? Because they are life. I could add and peace, and joy, and love, the guarding, the ruling, to those who find them, and health, not death, to all their flesh. Where does it come from? Setting our mind and attention on the word of the Lord. For those who have experienced regular and consistent and sacrificial sometimes and disciplined reading of the word, no, there is life in those words. In a supernatural way. Yeah, but it's just a book. <laughs> Trust me, friend. Start reading that book. Again, this is why I'm excited to start reading this book called Atheism is Dead. He actually quotes and shows uh, kind of um, spearheading atheists of the 20th century that then became Christians. Love it. Francis Collins. I'm a huge fan of Francis. I hope the one day that I get to meet him. The guy who was paramount in the discovery of the human genome. One of the top scientists on the planet today. He decided he was an ardent atheist, but he thought, right, I'm actually going to look at the evidence of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Starts reading the Bible. Guess what? Becomes a Christian. I know. Thank you, Jenny. Jenny knew exactly where I was going. You see, that's the kind of response I want from all of you. Became a Christian. You see, more and more atheists who actually are scientific-minded start reading the Scriptures in a way that they go where the evidence takes them, not where they want the evidence to take them, and open their minds to it. They suddenly discover, gosh, who knew? There's power in the Scripture. I love that because I know he's far smarter than me. And love Jesus. I'm going to be his neighbor one day. I've decided. I'm going to have the Apostle Paul on one side, I've dibsed it, and Francis Collin on the other. I love it. There's power in the Word of God. So give attention to my words, and you'll find that as you dwell and consider and set your mind on things that are above, you'll find that the things on earth, the things in mind, that you'll actually be able to take captive. You'll be able to turn your attention on the things that bring life. So let's go back to our scripture again. 
And look at how Paul refers to the same thing. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Here's what Paul is saying. You want to set your mind on something? You want to dwell on the word of God? You want to consider this is where warfare happens. This is where you captive, uh, take captive your thoughts. Paul says here, start here. Go back to what Jesus has done for you, who you are, and where you are. It's right there. Go back to the truth. You see, peace with God leads to peace from God. See, peace from God, this life, this peace guarding our hearts comes from God, but peace with God comes through Jesus Christ. Comes through actively seeking to become a follower of His to lay our lives down in submission to his, to recognize that he is Lord and we are not. Because what makes you a Christian, this scripture tells us, is that, friend, as a Christian, you are now hidden in Christ. Everything about Jesus in you, for you, towards you, that he loves you, he's passionate for you, and you are hidden in him. And when God sees you, he sees you as free from guilt, free from condemnation, free from anything you've done wrong, as if you had died on the cross instead of Jesus and paid that price. He sees Jesus instead of you. And Paul says you need to start seeing the same thing. Because if we saw ourselves like God sees us, then our minds, our anxiety would lift because you would know that not only do you have a future, you also appear with him in glory, but in the present you can experience that joy knowing that you are a citizen of the kingdom, that you are here temporarily, the circumstances are temporary. As tragic as they might be, he is still on his throne. And where are you? What's the scripture say? Let's read it. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Raised with Christ. This word raised is again military language. What it refers to is when a king's son or commander came back from a war that they had won, they would be raised into a position where they would stand or sit at the right hand of the king. So where are you, my friend? In God's mind, you are at the right hand, hidden in Christ. That's who you are. And when we start seeing our lives and seeing ourselves through that lens, it puts everything else in perspective. There is no condemnation. So the first thing is we set our mind on the things above by focusing on who we are, what Jesus has done, where he is, where we are, and on the word of Christ, focusing on the word of God, spending time in it, meditating on it, reading it, singing it, listening to it, coming to a, a, a biblical community like this and learning about it, constantly reminded that you are not of this world. And then, the second thing, Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, might guard your hearts. Oh no, will guard your hearts and your minds 
in Christ Jesus. Paul commands us, don't be anxious. Thanks, Paul. Great advice. Oh, don't worry about that. When was the last time that ever helped? You know, that you're really feeling anxious, you're feeling tense, you're feeling worried. It doesn't even have to be hypothetical. You'll go into the dentist the next day, and somebody well-meaning comes around, puts their arm around your shoulder, and goes, oh, don't worry about it. Oh, if only I had thought of that. Thank you. I'm glad you came along. Or even better, as a Christian, you're going through a really difficult patch and somebody comes along and, and they put their arm around your shoulder and they give you a mug and say, the Lord just gave me this to give you. Uh, all things work together for good for those who love and are called to it. And you're like, oh, thanks. That's really helpful. But he doesn't stop there, does he? he? He raises the bar. He doesn't say just don't be anxious about your situation. Don't be anxious about what? Anything. Name it, Paul says. Yeah, but Paul, nope. Anything. I can think of some things right now. If you read my journal <laughs> that I use every day, sometimes several times, you will find that there are some things that I am very anxious about. And sometimes Sarah will t attest. She tells me sometimes, just, why don't you just go and journal? Okay. So I'll get a glass of something nice. I will let you choose what that might be in your mind. And I'll sit and I'll journal. And I'll journal out my anxieties, the things that are causing me angst. About anything, he said. And then he carries on, but in, he doesn't just stop there, though. And praise the Lord he doesn't. Because if he stopped there, don't be anxious about anything, full stop, see you later then we'd all have this guilt and shame piled on us that the weight would be too much for us to carry. Well, how do I stop? Then we would reach to what the world shows us, well, these different structures. And while those are important, when setting your mind is part of that, but setting your mind on what is the Word of God, but he doesn't, he carries on. But in every situation, there is nothing, please hear this, this is a word for somebody I know, there is nothing too small, not too big. I think we... I think we give God the big stuff. I'm talking about the small stuff. There's nothing too small that he doesn't want you to bring to him. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, it's a promise, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know what I read when I read that? Okay? Challenge accepted. I'm going to test this thing out. Now, you might go, well, that's not very reverent. Well, this is just me. So you might be far more reverent than me. I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to journal about it, and I'm going to pray and name everything, and I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to give it over to God. I'm going to thank him that he's involved in it, and then I'm going to do this scientific exercise and see how I feel. It works. <laughs> it really does. I'm not talking about naming and claiming and blabbing and grabbing prosperity gospel nonsense. I'm talking about putting that scripture to practice. Don't be anxious about anything, Glenn. You read my journal, it actually says this. Glenn, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Glenn! The peace of God. 
that I actually personalize it. I receive that. I'm going to put it to practice. Because the alternative is, is I reach to what the world has to offer, and all I do is manage my anxiety where this destroys it. This guards my heart. And by the way, it's not a one-time deal. Ten minutes later, sometimes, back to it. You know what, Lord? I'm still feeling angst. Can we do this again? Sure. Glenn, do not be anxious about anything. It's a standing promise. Paul tells us not to worry, but then he gives us something to substitute worry with called prayer. This is amazing. I'm coming to an end here. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. When I read cast, I immediately think, I, don't, I actually didn't look at the, um, the root word too much. I do know that it's a very similar word to anxiety. It's rather than a tearing apart, it's a uniting, which is interesting. But I imagine about fishing, and I love fishing, and I used to go fishing often in uh, North Wales where we used to live into the sea, and the, the, the competition between me and my friend who we'd go is see how far we could cast our beach rods. And often, the, you know, you, <laughs> what would be funny is if you get into a mess on the reel, the line just snaps, and, and you just don't see the end of your bait ever again because it just flies off into oblivion. But you're always competing. How far can I cast this thing? But here's where the analogy falls down because you cast it and then you reel it back in. Isn't that what we do? Isn't it better that you get a rock and you cast it? You know, wading into the Okanagan Lake to go and find that exact rock? That'd be mad. It'd be fun to watch, but mad. Don't cast and reel back in. Captivate. It's a really interesting word picture, captivating the thought. It literally means chase that thing down. Think about a chicken. You've got to chase it down. You've got it. So you captivate your thoughts. You capture them. I'm not going to think that way. There's a whole science connected to the different parts of your brain. Switch off your brain. Switch on your brain. Talks about this. Where there's this, the frontal part of your brain is the, the area that receives the thought first of all. And you have an opportunity at that moment not to, and these are my non-science words, to pull it back into the deeper parts of your brain. You can actually capture it here and reject it. Turn it to Scripture. Change it around to make it something that is life-giving, not below but above. And then cast it, throw that, and don't go running after it and pick it up. I can tell you my day is filled with me throwing stones, running after them, picking them up, bringing them back. Why have I got this again? Throwing it, running, picking it up, getting it back. That's my whole day sometimes right now. But before you judge me, at least I'm casting it. Some of you have just got pockets full of rocks going, what am I going to do with this? And the crazy thing is, is the last thing we decide to do, which is pray, is the first thing that Paul tells us to do. Get those rocks and cast every anxiety upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. I love this beautiful verse in the message. Live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. Isn't that a great verse? I need that verse today. I need that verse today, that he is careful over me. He's careful over this church. He's careful 
over people who have been through and connected to this church. And I can be carefree. It doesn't mean that I don't care. That's not what the word means, is it? It's that I've casted my cares. And his peace guards my heart. And it's a fight. Let me read this scripture in closing from Jesus. I'm reading again a book that my lovely daughter recommended to me called, um, I think it's Christ's Lowly and Gentle. And if she's around in the room anywhere, she gives me a thumbs up. Pardon? Gentle and Lowly. It's a beautiful book by Ortland, right? And he, what he does is he paints this amazing picture of the heart of Christ. Not a heart of judge or wrath or needing forgiveness, although beautifully explains how that is important too. But just this heart towards you. And he sums up, this whole book is based on this verse. This is Jesus speaking. And you can fill in your name. Come to me, Glenn. You're weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. I need that rest today. This church needs church family members filled with rest today. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then he says this, and and I'm paraphrasing from this book. Jesus' desire for you to come out of the storm outstrips your own desire. Jesus' desire for you to be free from the storm outstrips your own desire to be free. He wants you to find rest. And it is found by setting our minds firmly on the things that are above. So we're going to sing a uh, worship song together. Much closer than I was expecting, Jerry. Um, We're uh, going to worship together. But I want this verse. If you prefer, it's the same verse just from the message. This is the ESV. Cast all your anxiety on him. I want you to immediately just start asking the Lord. You know what? It doesn't take a lot of thinking through what our anxieties are. They're right there, gnawing at our brains as we worship. Let's pray that you pray, that you cast. Maybe you hold your hands out as a, as a sign that you're just letting go. Give them over to God. Know that he cares for you. Know that he wants the best for you. Know that he is gentle towards you. Know that he wants you to find relief from the storm that you're in. That's his heart. That's his goal. Amen. Let's stand together. So before we sing, I just wanted to say... Uh, 